Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, Liquidware, and Goliath Technologies. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. The Washington Post has reported on a big internet outage in the eastern United States, which appear to be related to a Verizon Fios internet service. Verizon's customer sports stated on Twitter that the issue was possibly caused by a severed cable in Brooklyn, New York. Internet traffic volume to Verizon dropped by about 12% globally during the hour-long outage. The report discusses the impact on schools as far away as North Virginia. Unfortunately, the outage hit just as the day was starting for those schools. It led to questions about the resiliency of the network and architecture of the network that a single cable being severed in one location could have such a ripple effect throughout the eastern United States. Hopefully at least it has given some food for thought and maybe a redesign of that network. In what was an absolutely crazy week for the stock market, some impressive news came by the way of tech stocks. Microsoft on Tuesday reported its Azure cloud computing services grew 50%. According to Yahoo Finance, Microsoft's shares rose 5% in extended trading after gaining about 41% in 2020 as COVID-19 shifted industry trends. And what I thought was particularly interesting is the report suggests there was a surprise recovery in sales on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's revenue growth which dipped as the pandemic shut down businesses initially reached 23%, bringing it very close to back to its pre-pandemic rate of 24% a year earlier. It was disclosed that advertisements on LinkedIn drove the increase. I wonder if that's because there were a lot of people affected by COVID-19 and there was more people going to platforms like LinkedIn, maybe looking for job opportunities while they were furloughed. It kind of seems to me at least that there's now this almost gig economy type mentality to work. Some people got furloughed and they're maybe only working three days a week and they're being allowed to find work elsewhere. So they're maybe spreading their risk and working multiple roles at once but not working much more than their regular full-time job hours. So it's been a pretty interesting time and maybe that's driving some increased interest in LinkedIn in the last year. But Microsoft wasn't the only tech company to have a pretty boom year. Apple had a pretty big year, as did others. In a really twisted story, Home security vendor ADT confirmed that a 35-year-old employee in Texas breached 220 customer systems in a pretty disgusting way. BuzzFeed reports that when at the homes of some of his victims, while getting them set up, he would add his own personal account for remote access and tell them that he just needed to add the account temporarily for testing purposes, but then left it there for his own nefarious purposes. He would then over time spy on his victims, which the victims were made up mostly of women who he found attractive, according to the report. The prosecutor stated that he viewed them while they undressed, slept, or even had sex. In court records, 
one defendant claims the perpetrator was found to have accessed the home security cameras of her parents' home at least 73 times between 2017 and 2020, including her bedroom while she was still a teenager. ADT is currently facing three lawsuits and the perpetrator is facing up to five years in prison after pleading guilty to computer fraud. The company is continuing to respond to the lawsuits and has resolved the concerns of most of the 220 impacted customers, including those who have retained attorneys to address the issue according to ADT's statement. Cyberscoop.com has reported that security firm Mimecast have confirmed that as part of the SolarWinds breach, hackers compromised a software certificate the firm uses to secure connections to Microsoft Cloud services. They state that certain encrypted service account credentials created by customers hosted in the US and UK may have been compromised and have encouraged their customers to take precautionary measures by changing their credentials. While this step is being recommended, they state that there is no evidence right now to suggest that existing credentials have been abused in any way. In a very interesting story this week, ZDNet reported that a coordinated effort by multiple countries has taken place to tackle the Emetet malware, and the efforts have been ramped up this week with Dutch authorities taking access of some servers used for deploying the malware that were located within their region, so located within the Netherlands. They planted their own updates onto the server that will contain a time bomb, well, somewhat of a time bomb. It's going to uninstall the malware on infected devices that happen to update from their servers. It said that the time bomb aspect is that the uninstall is going to occur on April 25th, and it will hopefully give those infected a reprieve and a chance to identify the machines affected and then take further preventative measures. Credit to Troy Hunt who shared this next story. The South African Revenue Service went to the lengths of providing a custom browser with Flash support to continue to support their customers. Customers, of course, being the taxpayers of South Africa. I'm not trying to dunk on anyone here, but I saw a reply that made me laugh. It said, this annoys me to no end. When they announced this in January 2019, they said, this new and reliable platform features the latest technology on the market and includes a refresh of SARS hardware and software, which is the South African Revenue Service. And why this person is annoyed is because they were referring to Flash in 2019. And like I said, I'm not trying to dunk on South Africa or South Africans, because I can assure you Ireland isn't much better. One of our TDs a couple of weeks ago tweeted a screenshot from a government-issued laptop showing that they use a security product that goes end of life in just a few weeks. So I think we could all do better and maybe governments should lead by example when it comes to security. In a pretty wild story, ZDNet reported that SonicWall have been hacked via a known zero-day vulnerability in their own products. The company initially listed Net Extender VPN clients and the secure mobile access gateways as impacted, but then updated several hours later to also state that only devices part of the secure mobile access of 100 series appliances are under investigation as containing a zero-day vulnerability. Patches for the zero-day vulnerabilities were not available at the time of this recording. 
There are some knowledge base articles containing mitigations, such as deploying a firewall to limit who can interact with SMA devices, or disabling access via the NetExtender VPN client to its firewalls. SonicWall also urged companies to enable two-factor authentication options in its products for admin accounts. And in an unfortunate twist to the story, ZDNet are also suggesting they've been informed there may be a possible ransomware attack in play too against SonicWall. CrowdStrike have shared a deep dive example of how to exploit the recently patched CVE-2021-1678, which I reported on recently on the podcast. They achieved privilege escalation by the print spooler and an NTLM relay that they set up. Microsoft did release a patch for this vulnerability on January 12th in the Windows updates. And Microsoft has urged organizations to turn on enforcement mode on the print server, a setting which it says will be enabled on all Windows devices by default starting June 8th, 2021. My great friends and sponsors, PolicyPack Software just released a new product called PolicyPack VPN Manager. So rather than do my usual going through of a, you know, what's new, what are the highlights from the vendor, that sort of thing, I'll keep it short and talk more about what, you know, a community expert thinks. But in summary, one of the challenges IT teams were facing when people were going to work remotely and they were reliant on VPN connections is there isn't a group policy or SCCM way to make always on VPN connections. The typical way to do this involves scripts that a lot of times don't work and cause infinite frustration. And the goal of the policy pack VPN manager is to make this drop dead easy and just works with group policy, MDM, SCCM, or anything or nothing at all. And what's really cool, I think, is that you can also use PolicyPack's cloud service if you have non-domain joined machines that you want to manage the always-on VPN connections for, too. And like I said, I wanted to mention an actual expert, community expert's opinion here. So Richard Hicks was quoted with the release of this cool new feature, and he said, quote, Windows 10 always-on VPN lacks native Active Directory group policy integration like its predecessor, Direct Access, did. PolicyPack VPN Manager addresses this limitation nicely by allowing administrators to deploy always-on VPN client configurations easily and quickly using familiar tools and processes. It enables admins to simplify and standardize Windows 10 VPN configurations, plus includes capabilities that an Intune alone managed Windows 10 machine cannot perform. End quote. And thanks to Richard Hicks for making my job in this story very easy this week <laughs> by providing such a great explanation and statement. If you're interested in checking out more details on the VPN manager, I'll share a few useful links with this episode, which is episode 161, and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com or usually, depending on the platform you choose, on your podcast platform within the description for this episode. It has been announced that a Windows Virtual Desktop Microsoft Certification Exam will be available starting March 2021. They say that candidates for this certification should have experience in Azure technologies, including virtualization, networking, identity, storage, backups, resilience, and disaster recovery. 
They should also understand on-premises virtual desktop infrastructure technologies as they relate to migrating to Windows Virtual Desktop. These professionals use the Azure Portal and Azure Resource Manager templates to accomplish many of their tasks. They may use PowerShell and Azure Command Line Interface for more efficient automation. So basically, if you've been using WVD over the last year or over the last few months, this is probably going to be one that interests you and you may take to it like a duck to water. Microsoft's Peter Veglevin tweeted this week that during the last months, the Microsoft team have worked hard to make logons on Windows 10 multi-session for WVD perform better. He states they included tons of improvements in AppX and in state repository. And if you want to check that out for yourself, the Dev Channel Insider build number 21301 should have all the fixes in it. He's asking if you'd like to try it out and give any feedback, please do. A new updated version of the PSF tooling product has been released by Tim Mangan. It includes improvements in application analysis, PSF injection, and some other UI improvements too, plus additional fixes. So check that out. Group Room, which you can find at grouproom.io, has given pro users the ability to upload giant room images to create new larger spaces. So that's like expo halls, offices, lounges, beach scenes. Now, if you haven't listened to previous episodes of the podcast, you might be thinking, what is Group Room? So I mentioned in the past that Group Room is this cool new web conferencing, video conferencing, remote meeting platform. And it's pretty different to the likes of Zoom and Microsoft Teams. It's essentially a one-stop place where you can have actually multiple meetings or multiple conversations going on in one area. So it's kind of like a virtual office where you can have a crowd of people or even just like a circle, small circle of people in one corner of the screen and then maybe two others on the other side of the screen and there's spatial audio awareness. So you don't hear what each group is saying unless you move yourself into that circle or into that area. And now they've got these custom spaces for like expo halls, which would be great for like virtual conferences, offices, if you're trying to recreate that office feel, lounges, again, maybe like, you know, common areas around a lounge. Personally, I think it would be really cool if there was like a pub quiz or some interactive use cases that would come in really useful during COVID times for stuff like professional sports teams who need to rely on donations and funding for their survival. They could do stuff like a pub quiz and have a background space with multiple tables and keep each table far enough apart so that each group can't hear each other unless like someone moves into the group, which everyone will see if someone's trying to cheat and like eavesdrop, they won't be able to without it being very noticeable, but also to have the tables in a kind of semicircle. So there's an announcer who's able to tell the questions so everyone can hear them. Now, obviously you're going to be on a computer, but there are some platforms out there that are actually tailored toward people doing them remotely on a computer where the questions are so difficult that the answers aren't going to appear within the first few pages of a Google search or within your general browsing. So I think that combined could be pretty cool, but I'm rambling, so I'll stop. But 
I suggest you check out Group Room. I think it's some really cool, mind-blowing tech. And in very sad news this week, unfortunately, well-known Citrite Chris Gissing passed away. The CUGC members and others in the community have been contributing to a GoFundMe as a way to honor Chris's life. This is a GoFundMe that was not requested by Chris's family. It is merely set up at the request of those in the community who felt a desire to help in some way. Any money raised will be given to his wife Lucy to be used however she deems best. I'd of course like to pass my condolences to Chris's wife Lucy and his entire family and friends. It's a terrible tragedy and based off of just community engagement on social media, people sharing stories about working with Chris and their affection for him. It's clear that he's going to be really badly missed. And now in this episode, a weekly webinar. So I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, but the VMUG virtual EUC day event is going to be taking place on February 11th, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern. It's going to be an all-day event, and yours truly will be doing a session around application delivery to virtual desktops. And there's going to be a whole host of other great EUC-related topics, plus sessions from some VMware partners and EUC vendors as well. So register today to join the event. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Martin Zugeg shared a pretty cool little tip if you haven't known about it before on Twitter. If you need to fix the trust relationship between this workstation and the primary domain failed as though the machine has dropped off the domain, you do not need to go into the computer properties and leave and then rejoin the domain. There's an easier method. You can use the reset-computer-machine-password PowerShell commandment. Martin also confirms that this works remotely too, so you don't have to go onto the machine to do it. Marco Zimmerman added that you can also use the test-computer-secure-channel-space-repair for this purpose. So every once in a while, I mention the Thrive IT podcast, and this week seemed definitely worth mentioning them again because they had the awesome Mike Nelson on as a guest. Mike is a community legend and also just a really great guy, so this is a perfect episode for you to check out the Thrive IT podcast if you haven't already. I really like their platform and the graphics. It's much more high-end and polished than this podcast. So good on you, DJ and Jeff. Andreas Nick highlighted this week that there is a treasure trove of great app-related content on the MAD YouTube page. These videos are in German and cover topics like AppV, MSIX, and FSLogix. He states the content is great, especially the two AppV troubleshooting videos with Sebastian, which is a given because Sebastian is awesome. He is a go-to for AppV, and honestly, even if you're not interested in AppV, if you're just interested in learning troubleshooting techniques for applications, these would be really great sessions for you to learn from. And sticking with the app-related topics, if you don't mind. Advanced Installer have a nice video going through the differences between MSI and MSIX for anyone who may be confused about the two. So if you're not familiar at all with MSIX yet and you want to relate it to MSI, this is a good one for you. 
And speaking of which, Bogdan has a great tip on how to auto start apps that have been packaged with MSIX. So if you've been scratching your head how to get that to work, check out this tip. And finally, to promote something of my own, which I always feel uncomfortable about doing, I just published a blog post this week titled Life After App V. So during the holidays, I had to work over Christmas and that week leading up to New Year's, I happened to draw the short straw and I was on call. But as is the case, during the holidays, there was a change freeze. So I took the opportunity instead of working on some projects that required me to make changes that were not possible during a change freeze, I went ahead and I retried converting all of our AppV51 packages to MSIX and went through testing a decent sample size of them. It was during this testing and the fact that we did a proof of concept through 2019 up until just before the pandemic started in 2020 of Numescent Cloud Paging and the fact we also used some other products like ThinApp and Turbo.net in my environment that I decided to stop after trying to test and convert the packages and just write down my thoughts. So I'm pretty lucky because my manager on the EUC team that I work for for a hospital in the US is very supportive of the idea of having more than one packaging tool. So some people don't want to add complexity by having more than one possible package format and means of deployment for applications. but. My manager realizes it's not a terrible thing because you do avoid vendor lock-in, which I've worked for contract companies raking in the hours before of repackaging or re-engineering application installs that someone put into something like Anteo or Marimba and used the built-in features that they're really good, they're really convenient and simple to use, but when you try to take that package and that wrapper out of that product and deploy with something else, you got a bit of work to do. So not putting all your eggs in one basket from that regard is a good idea. But then also you got to look at things like simplicity, skill set for getting the work done because app packaging delivery is still pretty specialized and niche, but also just overall, what's the success rate of packaging and delivering your applications with a certain technology like AppV, MSIX, and in this blog post I go into cloud paging as well since we did a pretty comprehensive POC with them. So if you want to read that, I'll share a link with this episode as I do with everything that I talk about on the podcast each week on 5bytespodcast.com and you'll find it for episode 161 under reference links. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening.